the slash is the Canadian border that goes from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. It's 30 feet wide, and it's also known as no man's land. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. Way up along the Canadian border is Lake Wallace, a small international lake in Canaan, Vermont. The lake is split between Vermont and Canada, with most of the lake located in Quebec. There's an area known as the Slash, a treeless zone of land that runs along the entire U.S.-Canadian border. You can see the Slash from the southeastern shore of Lake Wallace, where Jackson's Lodge is located. Jackson's Lodge is a family-owned vacation spot that's been in the Jackson family since the 1950s. Gloria Jackson and her former husband, Jerry, purchased the lodge and cabins from her parents in the 1980s. One of the cabins is located a few feet from the Canadian border. And in the summer, you can swim, paddle, or go boating into Canada, as long as you don't set foot on Canadian land. Gloria grew up in Canaan and worked at Jackson's Lodge in the summers. She now runs the business with her partner, Mark Levier. Here's Gloria. Lake Wallace is one of three international lakes in the state of Vermont. The other two lakes that share borders are Memphremagog and Lake Champlain. Two-thirds of Lake Wallace is in Canada. And when you are on the lake, you can go anywhere on the lake as long as you stay in the water. You cannot touch the soil. In the wintertime when the lake freezes and it's considered land, then you can't cross that imaginary line, so you do have to stay on the U.S. side of the lake. Do you have to explain that to people when they come? A lot of people will ask in the summer, how, how does this work with going into Canada on the water? And we just say you can go anywhere on the lake, you just can't touch the Canadian soils. Okay. And most people obey that? They do. <laughs> yeah, yeah they do. And I think the lake is so small compared to Champlain and Mephromagog that they don't have police out there. Our lake's really not that big, right? <laughs> you right, know? Right. So the border patrol are in the area. The Canadians watch the border on, the, on their side. And how big is the lake in terms of depth and size? So the lake is a mile long and a half a mile wide, and the deepest part of the lake is 67 feet. It's not a deep lake. I mean, that's a small area that's that deep. The lake in front of Jackson's Lodge is very shallow, and it goes out gradual. Both my parents were born in Canada. Their parents, my mom's parents were born in Mose River and, and lived in Mose River in Lennoxville, and my father's family lived in Sherbrooke. My grandfather, Arnold Jackson, my father's dad, owned most of the land on the Canadian side of Lake Wallace, and he was a logger. And he also had a mill on the outlet of Lake Wallace. And what's interesting about his mill, his sawmill, was that he would harvest timber in Canada and put it into the sawmill in Canada. But when it came out of the sawmill, it was in the U.S. My parents bought the Marshall camps from Harry Marshall in 1958. And the Marshall camps were camps that were built in the early 20s. And the front row camps are still the authentic cedar log cabins that were built in the early 20s. The lodge, the main lodge of Jackson's Lodge, is a, a historic lodge that was built in the 20s. 
And when they bought the lodge, my dad had come home and said to my mom, Audrey, at this time, my mom was pregnant with daughter number four. Oh. Um, my dad came home. He said, Audrey, I figured out a way to keep the girls busy. I bought the Marshall camps. <laughs> so, so mom's pregnant with daughter number four, and now she's here at a fishing camp serving three meals a day to fishermen, just trying to do the best yeah. she can. Yeah. Right? At that time, my oldest sister was eight. Mm -hmm. And she learned how to make pies at eight years old, and they helped in the kitchen. My other two sisters, Connie and Donna, would help. They were teenagers. I mean, they were younger than Bonnie, so they were trying to help. My dad was in the woods, and uh, that was his place. He was in the woods all day, and Mom was here mm. and taking care. How long did it stay a fishing camp? Did that stop when— Jackson's Lodge was opened in 58? No, they kept it at a, as a fishing camp for quite a few years. We had groups that would come in. I remember one group named the Rutland Sportsmen's Club, and they came fishing. And I remember photos of huge lake trout that oh. they were catching. And mom would wrap them up in freezer paper and newspaper and freeze them so that when they traveled back to their homes, the fish would stay frozen. There were a lot of fishermen that were coming in and a few families. Mm. It wasn't it wasn't as busy as it is now with with people spending the whole week here. Yeah. They would come in for a few days and fish and and then and head back home. What is Lake Wallace known for fish-wise? What were people catching or what do they catch? Back then when my parents bought, they were catching a lot of lake trout and brown trout and salmon. Mm. And the lake has changed. The lake isn't as deep and cold as it was back in the 50s. And now people are catching some lake trout, mostly pickerel, brown trout, and smallmouth bass. Why isn't it as deep as it was? Maybe that's an obvious question. It's interesting. The inlet into the lake was diverted by a property owner who had property down there by the inlet. And it changed the flow of the water coming in, and that was in the 70s. It brought a lot of silt into the lake. They dredged the lake twice, but it still silts at the inlet. Yeah. I used to go up in a motorboat right up the inlet, right to the bridge on 114, and now you can't even launch a boat. It's, a hard, it's hard to launch a boat, a big boat, yeah. at the access area because it's too shallow. Oh, wow. I think a lot of that silt had come in and it just raised the level of the lake. So it's mm. a lot warmer than it used to be. Going back, you grew up here. Mm -hmm. Your mom was running Jackson's Lodge. Your dad was working in lumber. Yes. Tell me about your childhood here, growing up and working here and spending time. When mom and dad bought the lodge in 1958, they built a camp called the Home Camp. And my oldest three sisters, who helped mom in the beginning, would work with her. And the youngest three, at some point, I mean, my youngest sister was born in 63. Mm. So we had a, a lady that used to stay at the camp and, and take care of us and cook for us and do laundry for mom. And her name was Emma Cody. And she was with us for years. She would come up here in the summer and stay with us in the home camp. and. In the wintertime, she would come to the house and help mom get us ready for school and get our breakfast ready. 
and while well, mom was taking care of dad's books for the for mm-hmm. his logging business. But we would move up every spring, and my older sisters would ride our ponies up for the summer, and the ponies would be here, and they would give pony rides, and they would take guests on the ponies on the dirt road that comes into Jackson's Lodge, and it went right into Canada. And that was the road at one time to get to Canaan. The road for 114 wasn't open for quite a few years because it was all ledge. People had to come down 114 from Norton and come to Lake Wallace and go into Canada and to get to Canaan. But you lived in Canaan, like you came here. We lived for the in summers. Canaan in the winter. Yeah, and we went to school. We yeah. all grew up in Canaan. In the spring, we'd move to the lodge for the summer, mm-hmm. and then spend the summer here with a lot of families that would come back every year. So we had friends and families that we grew up with mm-hmm. that were staying here at the lodge in the summertime. In the winter time, when mom wasn't working here, she would make homemade bread during the day, and when we would get out of school, my sister Fran and I would take the homemade bread and sell it to our neighbors for a quarter, a loaf, and we got to keep five cents. <laughs> Thinking about the the Franco-American piece with Canaan, I forget what the percentage is, but something like 25% of Canaan residents, French is maybe their still their primary language. Like, were your parents, did they only speak French when you moved here or were they English speaking or? My parents uh, spoke both English and French. And what about you? Did you? I didn't grow up speaking French. When I got into high school, we didn't have any French teachers. I remember in grade school learning French for a period. And then when I got into high school, they didn't have any French class. (laughs) I think they had Spanish then. It was the craziest thing. So That is crazy. So none of the girls speak French. Mm-hmm. My mom s- spoke a little French. She was more from an English-speaking part of Canada, mm-hmm. Lennoxville mm-hmm. and Mose River. But my dad, he could speak French. He could speak he French. Fluent. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. What made you buy the lodge in the 80s? Well, we were looking. I grew up on the lake my yeah. whole life, and I... I wanted property on the lake. And my parents my parents knew that we were interested in buying, but they weren't ready. I was in Florida with my husband and two stepsons in 1986 in the spring. And my younger sister highly called and said, I think mom and dad are ready to sell the lodge. Dad turned the water on early this year. It was really nice. And now everything's frozen. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> when we got back from Florida, they had a mess with frozen pipes, and they were ready to sell the lodge. Uh-oh. So, but they they said we wanted to buy just the home camp, and they said it's all of it or none of it. Oh, it's all one piece. We're not splitting it up. So we ended up buying the lodge and all the cabins. I wasn't really sure if that was what I wanted to do for mm. the rest of my life, mm. but. It was great. I mean, I raised the boys and they helped me here. Jerry worked in the woods like my dad did. I'm just so grateful that I was in in a place at that time to be able to buy from my parents yeah. and run the lodge. And now 36 years later, mm-hmm. I'm proud to be the steward of this property that that yeah. is a is such a great tradition right. for so many families. Right. What was that like for you when 
your parents said, buy all of it. Was it was that that must have been a little scary or intimidating? It was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up working here, but not running the lodge. Yeah. So it was. But the nice thing about it, I had the whole winter to organize myself and learn how to run the business. And then in the summer, come in and with some help from the boys. And um, right. I had a few employees that helped me open the cabins. So yeah. when we did buy, my parents had half of the cabins were rented by the season. Mm. She had guests that would come in and stay for the whole summer. And I continued bringing in seasonal guests. And it made it much easier for me because of the, I was the one running the lodge and I didn't have the time to do changeovers every week. I was also hosting events at the time and catering with my sister Bonnie from Bessie's Diner. Wow, you were busy. <laughs> we had weddings and family reunions and, and big weddings. They were like 200 people at a time at my summer gosh. functions. So a few years went by and... As the seasonal guests started not being able to come back because their their kids were grown now and they were off to you know school and college and they had summer jobs, they weren't able to be here for the whole summer. So they would rent for maybe a week or two. And then I started not not renting seasonal anymore. I honored the seasonal guests, but when they decided not to come back, I started renting by the week. It made more sense for me to do that with the increase of what it costs to run the lodge. Definitely. So weekly rentals um, were what I yeah. planned to do. Yeah. Why do people come to Jackson's Lodge in 2022? Well, a lot of the guests that come are guests that have been coming. They just love the family time that they have. They've made some great memories and they've shared their stories with other people and that is our best advertisement, is word of mouth. So we have all these new people that are coming in. We do a lot more short-term rentals. We still have some families that will come for a week, but nobody comes for much longer than that. Mm. It's mostly a week or less. Where do people, where are they from, your guests? We have guests from like Massachusetts, Connecticut, Burlington. We had guests from Canada, but we haven't seen them for a couple of years. But a lot of Vermonters are coming now. I know that one of the cabins sits 11 feet from the Canadian border, which is fascinating. What are, what are some other like quirky details about this place? When I, when I first bought the camps, we had two families that were staying here that were seasonal. Mrs. Parmelo lived in Canaan, and her husband was a border patrol, and they rented a camp for the summer. And we also had a family, the Danjus. Mm that rented a cabin for the summer. They, and they were both French-speaking families. They were friends with the people that owned the property in Canada, right by the lodge, Mrs. Lozon. Mm. And often, Mrs. Parmelo and Mrs. Danjou would bake pies and bring their lawn chairs to the fence, and they would visit with Mrs. Lozon <laughs> and share pie with each other while they visited across the fence. <laughs> so sweet. I love that. That's very sweet. Well, when the border closed and the families couldn't come across, we had calls from people that wanted to visit their relatives in Canada, and they asked 
permission to come onto our property and visit with them over the fence. Oh. And we, the guests that were coming from the Canadian side would contact the Lozone family, and they would give them permission to drive onto their private property and come over with lawn chairs and visit with families. So for two years, we had gatherings of families that hadn't seen each other for two years or had seen any of the children oh. or grandchildren. Yeah, it was special to see that. I had read about that happening near... Um, Derby? Yeah, Derby. Mm-hmm. The, you know, near the Opera House. Right. But I hadn't heard of that here. Did a lot of people know about it? It grew, yeah. You know, the Canadians would tell their families that had family in yeah. the U.S. If you call Jackson's Lodge, or you can call Mr. Lawzone and ask permission, and you can go see your family. So, Tell me about kind of a typical summer weekend here when guests are here. What do they do at Jackson's Lodge? When guests check in, the kids are usually hanging out of the sunroof. <laughs> <laughs> yelling and screaming. After that long car yes. ride. <laughs> and the dogs are all excited, wagging their tails. It's so funny to see them come in. And they all run. They don't stop at the lodge and check in. They drive down to their cabins, and they all just get out. And <laughs> when they get settled in, they come up and check in. So it's like they're home. They drive to their cabin. And then most of the families that have been coming for a long time have already made their plans for the week. If they have friends that are staying in cabins that are here at the same time, they all get together and they'll plan barbecues and they'll go up to the gazebo during the week and barbecue and play games and the whole family gets involved. The teenagers, the little kids, and they play capture the flag and kick the can and and they just organize scavenger hunts and stuff for the kids. So it's fun to see the families planning their activities. Mm and not somebody coming and taking the kids away and having them do activities without the family. Right, right. No, that's nice. Yeah. Usually on a weekend or weekday when guests are here and the kids want crayfish or they want to learn how to fish, they'll look for Mark. And (laughs) they'll... uh, (laughs) Mark has to go down with his little stick and, and piece of string with a paper clip on the end of it and put a little piece of hot dog on it. And the kids get out on the dock and they'll go out there for hours and catch crayfish. And then they have to throw them all back at night and then they'll go back out the next day and catch them all over again. It's funny. <laughs> that sounds like fun. They're ha- they have so much fun. I believe And it. they play so hard and they sleep so well at night. Why do you think people love it here so much? I think they love having quiet time and family time and just reconnecting. And also, they're all making wonderful family memories. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. So important. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we, that's what we try to deliver. Mm-hmm. Families making memories and just ha- being happy when they're here and having fun. It makes a family tradition, and it it starts it. People come here once, and then they're like, we're coming back. And the guests that are here treat our new guests like they've been guests forever. Everybody is so nice to everybody. We treat all our guests like they're our family. Mm, And I think that's what's so special that makes them, we talk to our guests, we listen to their stories, and then they feel like they're part of us and they want to come back. It's special. The slash that I mentioned earlier is a treeless zone that marks the U.S.-Canadian border. 
The border is the longest in the world, stretching 5,525 miles from Maine to Alaska. You can see the slash and also a border monument behind Jackson's Lodge. When you ask Mark Levier about the lodge, he'll enthusiastically tell you about his love for the place, plus everything you need to know about the slash. Here's Mark. I was born in Burlington, um, grew up there my whole life. Back in 82, along with four other good friends from Burlington, we all got invited by a friend whose father owned a camp here on Wallace. And as the old guys were passing away, they had this interesting rule amongst the original five owners that the camp would go to the last survivor. And it was really fascinating. So uh, George Matthews, my good friend Kip's father, and Harold Ray were the last two survivors. And I swear both of them, their motivation was to live long enough to have the privilege to pass on the camp. And lo and behold, it was George that outlived Harold by six months and gave us all the opportunity to form the second generation stewards of this camp on the lake. So I've been coming up here since 82. Prior to meeting Gloria, I had been living in Stowe for the last six years. I just loved it up here. I loved the nature, the setting, the culture, the whole thing. And so every free moment I had, I would come to my camp. And I always had this wishful thought, gosh, I'd love to live up here. But quite candidly, I'm not quite sure how I would have made a living of it. But lucky me, Gloria invited me into her life. And so this is now my 12th year that I'm now here at the lodge. But it all started with five friends in Burlington and George Matthews, who gave us the privilege to, to all be here. Oh, that's so nice. You have a nice long history yeah. with this place. Yeah. That's great. I was telling Gloria that my Dave, my husband, last night, we, he was saying how we've been to different places and just the warmth and just helpfulness and kindness. So that was very much noticed, you know, by him. He hadn't met you before and yeah, yeah. it was very just made him happy and comfortable. And so yeah. thank you for that. Well, I think that just comes natural for us too, right? I mean, just, yeah, we're just truly grateful yeah. for the patronage, the support. Because if it wasn't for our gas, you know, we just, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. But I, uh, candidly, it's that gratitude attitude that I think people feel in us. And it's a genuine, it's a genuine feeling. Yeah, that's good. I believe it. It's very yeah. um, authentic. When I was up here in April, one of the things I kept thinking about was the slash and the monument. And I, I walked over to the monument this morning. Do you know that how long the slash has been around? Gloria was thinking she didn't remember it when she was younger. And I was reading about it. I thought it had maybe been here for a long time, but I have no idea. If you look at the border monument, the granite monument that's on our property, at the base of the monument carved in is etched Treaty of 1842. And I'm not 100% certain, but I'm, I'm thinking that that treaty is when Canada and the U.S. formalized their border and decided exactly where it would be. There's another marker on that monument on our property, 2006, and we believe that's the year that that granite monument mm. was placed 
on that spot. But the Treaty of 1842, I think, is what marks the agreement between Canada and the U.S. and where that border was. Yeah, okay. And then Gloria mentioned, and I remember you talking about this when we met in April, people hike the slash. Yeah. Do you ever see people, I mean, I guess they have to come down there and cross some other way, but do you ever see hikers through here? Are people coming here for the slash? I have never seen people walking down the slash with backpacks, but we've had hikers come to the lodge and share that fact about the slash, the border. That border isn't considered no man's land. In other words, it's neither Canada nor the U.S. It's been entrusted by this group called the International Boundary Commission. The Boundary Commission, every five years, comes through and clear cuts that swath of land. And we've been told that people have hiked from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean in the slash because they can. But I have to confess that Gloria and I, neither of us have seen someone walk through. Yeah. And I'm sure if someone was walking through with a backpack, they'd probably take notice. And, yeah. And a visit by Border Patrol or what have you. But it's really fascinating. Now, with regards to that monument, the other thing that's fascinating is these monuments were placed every mile along the border. And if you look at the base of our monument on the eastern side, facing toward the Atlantic, there's a number carved into the monument, and that number is 525, meaning 525 miles from that mile marker to where the border meets the Atlantic Ocean in a little town called Callis, Maine. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there's a monument every... Every mile. And so as you stand looking at by our monument down the slash facing east, another mile, you can see the next monument. Mm. And then if you had really good eyesight and the grass wasn't so tall, the second mile, we can see another monument. Oh, wow. And then the ridge line proceeds beyond. That's neat. It's a really neat space to experience, to stand there And to realize that this is the space that these two great countries, the United States and Canada, meet. And the guests love it. It's an endearing, memorable moment because you stand there and you have this very tangible experience of this space, the existence of this border. Mm -hmm. And yet be able to stand in it and enjoy it and take pictures in it. Yeah. And it's interesting because at first I was like, is it? I was trying to describe it to my family. And, um, you know, at first you kind of think of it as like a utility line, you know, through hills, but it seems narrow. It's only about 30 yards wide. Yeah. And yet it's a consistent strip of land. The whole way through. All the way through. And then I'm sure too, you, the family, people that stand on the beach or from the front porch of your cabin, you look across the lake and on the other side of the lake, There you see that slash proceeding, heading west. Yeah. Yeah, it's neat. And my daughter, who's almost 11, and her friend who's here with us, they couldn't get over it when we're like, right over there, that's Canada. They just thought that was the coolest thing. We were watching the ducks, and the ducks were in the U.S., and then they swam over to Canada. And so it's just just a neat neat thing, and it's, it's something I've never... I imagine a lot of people don't 
see that a lot. You know, you come to a place that's right on the border. There's no real obvious markings unless, you know, you talk about the slash or you see kind of that small fence, but right, it's really cool. It is very cool. Yeah. And what's really interesting is we have guests, occasionally we have guests that are on a mission. These are people that travel the border and their goal is they start in Maine and they head toward the Pacific and they travel and visit sites on the border. And people actually book with us so that they can literally stand in the border and experience it and meet that place where New Hampshire and Vermont meet right there at the Connecticut River. And there's a niche group of people. That's their travel endeavors to see the border. Do you get a lot of guests? We'll get two, three guests every year that come Mm. and they tell us that's what they're doing. They travel, they want to witness the border, they want to see all the sites along the border. Where would you go from here if you were heading west? The actual next site you would see would be in Norton. There's a port of entry in Norton, which is the town just west of us, about seven miles down the road. But then beyond that, it's just thousands of acres of wilderness. And the next site where you would encounter the border would be in Holland, Vermont, which is just north of Seymour Lake. That would be the next place that you would find a spot where you could stand and witness the border. But between Holland and Lake Wallace here, there's just miles of Mm. just wilderness. Do they have a monument in Holland like you have here? Like, is there a place you could access a monument? Honestly, I have never been to the Holland site. But Holland is one of these communities like like Derby, like Richford, that abuts the border. So there, there must be there must be a spot yeah. there too where yeah. people can travel to see, stand and see that slash. That's a really yeah. interesting feature story about this place. Um, it was something that it's I- It's so unique, it right? It is unique. It's, it's an endearing thing that differentiates us. It gives people a reason to come here and witness something they're just not going to see most any other place. Absolutely. And uh, you never forget it. You know, it's like oh, right. that place. And it's so fun yeah. taking pictures of families standing there by the monument with the slash way in the background off to the horizon. Yeah. It's a sweet experience. There's a couple things that we've kind of tried to coin that can define who we are. And that is uh, naturally unaffected and deliberately unhurried. In other words, when people come here, they're first just totally immersed in this nature, this wildness, this remoteness, which is the furthest corner of the Northeast Kingdom, right? And it lends itself to people here who've chosen to make a living here. They have a sense of character, spirit about them. There's a culture that it's palatable. You can almost, you see it, you feel it, you can hear it. And I think people enjoy that. And then the deliberately unhurried. The nature of being here is truly about disconnecting, relaxing. Families are playing like families again. And that unhurriedness, I think, is also alluring. And one of the reasons why people keep coming back. You're in a cabin, an authentic cedar log cabin that was built 100 years ago. 
everything about this place is about not changing and keeping things authentic. To Gloria's credit, there's a lot of thought and sometimes more time than I wish for before decisions are made on anything Mm. changing or being made different. When you come here, you truly are in a place that hasn't changed. And that's a lot of families comment about that is how they keep coming back because it doesn't change. And yet, when they do come back, every time they come back, they discover a little something that we've done. It's kind of an interesting uh, mission that Gloria's been on. I think that kind of puts, frames it in a way that describes what this site is all about, this special place. You can learn more about Jackson's Lodge by visiting jacksonslodgevt.net. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. You can find more stories about Vermont on my website, happyvermont.com. You can also find Happy Vermont on Facebook or Instagram. And if you have a story idea, comment, or just want to say hello, please drop me an email at hello at happyvermont.com. Thanks so much for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.